Hey all you hardcore bow hunters, you're listening to another episode of Elevated DIY Podcast. Uh, so on this episode, uh, I gave uh, Zach Harold a call. Zach Harold, um, he has his own podcast um, called Archery Maniacs. Um, and so we just did this. We've been trying to hook up and do this um, uh, podcast together where he's going to post it on his podcast and I'll post it on mine. And and uh, so we finally got together. It was pretty late. I had about 12 hours of driving, which I'll talk about in the podcast, uh, getting my buddy unstuck. And, and uh, so we got at it kind of late. And then uh, I just made myself a drink and we kind of relaxed and then just got talking bow hunting and, and covered some really good subject. It's, subjects and kind of uh, opened up about different things bow hunting and there's some great tips in there that I that I think will help you guys out and a you know, good conversation that I had with with Zach kind of back and forth uh, about our seasons and just feelings on different things so I think you guys will really like it so uh, uh, without any further ado get it started here good how are you man good can you hear me okay can you hear me all right yeah, I gotcha. Cool. Perfect. My recorder's even working now. Oh, that's a, a good thing. Yeah, uh, tech issues, right? Or um, technical trying to figure out everything is a challenge, huh? Oh, my God. It just pisses me off is what it does. <laughs> <laughs> right. I hear you there. Yeah, nothing you know, frustrates I, me more. Oh, yeah. We can go to the mountains and... And when we find something, it's pretty much like, yeah, we're, we're going to figure out a way to kill that animal and can barely figure out how to, like, send a text message. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad I'm not the only one. God, I just fight with my computer now and again. I don't know. I'm starting to get things figured out, but I hear you. Yeah, and it just seems like when one thing goes wrong, it's like nothing else can go right. You're like, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, it's, it's us guys and technical issues, so good to hear I'm not the only one. <laughs> yeah, domino effect, I guess, huh? <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, thanks for making this work out. Yeah, I know a little late tonight or we've had trouble getting together on one of these deals. We've both just been so busy with our schedules, so this will work out good. Yeah, no, this works great for me. I I hear a lot of good people die in their sleep, so I don't want it to be me. <laughs> <laughs> right, sleep when you're dead. There you go. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So you had to go uh, go save your buddy, huh? Oh, I did, yeah. I had to um, do the marathon drive today, 11, 12 hours to, well, you know, um, five and a half hours one way and then pull out his truck and then five and a half hours back. But, yeah, he's been stranded now for, gosh, about eight or nine days. He had to abandon his ship, abandon his truck, and walk eight miles out the other day and catch a ride home. And then um, he went back once to try to get his truck and couldn't get it out. And so we went back today to get it. And it was a rodeo. We had to we had to do a little counter steering here and there and keep her in four and chain up and get back in there and hook up the ropes. But, uh, yeah, we finally got him tugged out and able to save his vehicle and get it out and – and uh, then I think we had about an hour. Holy hell. Yeah. Oh, boy. That this central Montana, this spot we hunt, you know, no spot comes without challenges. And this spot, it is just greasy as all get out when it rains. And we got like uh, six inches of rain in this spot. And so. Um, oh, man. What we did.
did is I, I introduced my buddy to this spot last year and kind of said, yeah, it's good elk hunting put in for this permit. And so we hunted it together last year, and he killed a really good bull over there. Just like four days into the hunt, he killed a bull that went 335, just a great bull. And oh, I probably hunted sweet. like 100 days over there, and he went over in four and got it done in a great bull. But he's a, <laughs> it, it's just the way it goes. He's a great bow hunter, and he just right? capped, capitalized on his opportunity, and I was super happy for him, and he, and he deserves every bit of it. But it was kind of like, uh, uh, so this year, you know, not that I wished it upon him or anything, but he had payback in that in that area for sure. He'd, uh, uh, so we went in there. He went in a day before I went in, and we weren't hunting together this year. I had the, the film deal going and, and uh, different days, and they didn't line up. And so his plan was to get back into this good spot. But it's not on like an all-season road. It's back off just this muddy, gnarly spot. And his idea was to get back there and then camp there and not move and hunt out of that location, have it all to himself, and then let it dry out for a couple days and come out, which was a great plan. He was into some great big bulls and great action and, and really close to killing another bull. But when he went to come out, he just buried that truck to the axles. And so, like I say, he's he's had to abandon his ship there and one other trip going back and then today and and uh, but we finally got him out so it was a really good feeling no kidding that's that's always a crappy feeling you're just like well <laughs> yes here we go <laughs> right i mean um challenges wherever you hunt and whatever you do but yeah the no worse than having to leave your vehicle and then travel five hours home go back to work go back one trip can't get it out and then go back a second trip and it it was pretty gnarly today i mean i i had to just go for it in the truck i mean absolutely pin it in a few <laughs> spots to get it to where it needed to go so yeah and then we had like uh uh, probably like a good hour at the car wash afterwards. We each spent about 20 bucks just trying to spray mud out of our wheels because it, it was rattling so bad, the truck going down the highway. But, uh, yeah, we finally got them out. No damage to the trucks. I, I have blown up a tranny in that in that country in the mud like that too. So no damage to either one of the trucks, and we got them both home. So, yeah, all good. Man, that's awesome. Well, I'm glad you guys got home without any issues because, yeah – it's amazing how quick things can add up as stuff starts to break. <laughs> oh, man, yeah, that's it. And, um, yeah, whether it's older truck or even these newer trucks and the electronics and what can go wrong. And, yeah, they – I don't know. It, it seems like uh, uh, there's some weak points on even the newer trucks on, on today's. And when you're pushing them to their limits, there's no saying what can happen. But, yeah, we, we got it out, and it was a good elk season. Today was the last day of elk season in Montana. So he wasn't able to hunt, had to work on his truck, of course, to get that thing out. But, uh, yeah, the, the boat yeah. season here comes to an end in Montana. So it was a good year. And uh, looks like you had a good season there, huh, right? You had a bunch of tags and able to fill out on a nice deer I saw. Yeah, yeah. So far it's been kind of interesting, yeah, like any hunting season goes, you know, ups and downs. Um, I have shot three antelope, um, that mule deer, and I missed a big elk. Um, and it was just – it was just error on my part. I came to full draw and he was like 35 yards. I stopped him. And when I stopped him, I flinched. And when I flinched, my bow started to cam over. So I started to pull it back to full draw. And in the process of pulling back to full draw, I hit the trigger and, uh, missed literally completely shot right behind his butt and off he went with his cows. And 
Yeah, so I still have uh, a late season white tailed buck and a late season white tailed doe, and then uh, coos deer and javelina in New Mexico. So for this year, I don't. I'd like to hunt Nebraska, but we'll see how that fits into the budget. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, good for you. Well, yeah, congratulations first off on those antelope and that deer. Yeah, that's awesome to get it down a little meat in the freezer. Um, so that elk, uh, and not that, you know, uh, we all miss it's bow hunting. It's part of it. If you haven't missed, you either haven't been bow hunting long enough or you're a liar. One of the two, you know, it just happens to us. But so, so what happened, you came off the back wall and the bow started to collapse and then you jerked it back to try to get it back and hit the trigger and the shot was nowhere close. Is that right? That's exactly what happened. Like I was settled into my back wall, and then I flinched, and I started to come off the back wall. My bow started collapsing, just like you said. So I started to pull back to the back wall, and in the process of pulling it that, I don't know, four inches, I my finger, I don't know whether it – because I know I didn't like actually like punch the trigger. You know yeah. what I mean? And I don't know if – I don't know if in the process of starting to go back to full draw that – that my hand just tensed up and, and it wasn't where the grip was. It was actually over the trigger. I don't know. Um, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it yeah, happens. It's kind of funny. And... I got... <laughs> yeah, I got most of it. I got it all on video too. Um, <laughs> the bowl is cut in half because I had the wrong lens on. But you just watch my arrow because I, I shoot these Easton full metal jackets. Yeah. So they kind of glisten in the sun and you just watch my arrow go over the horizon. It's like great. <laughs> Yeah, it's bad to miss. It's even worse to have video proof of it. <laughs> then you can relive it over and over. <laughs> well, we we no, all I miss and we all miss, and we'll dissect my couple misses I had here in a second. So when you miss, like I think this is important. I think guys can learn from this. So um, when you when you missed, when you came off that back wall, or you say that flinch, do you think that was target panic that made you flinch, like wanting to make the shot go, or was it? Like what do Absolutely. you think? Yep. Okay, I thought so. That's what I was thinking. I think it. I think it was target panic for sure. Because literally, I was at full draw and I had my anchor, and I went to go stop that bull. And right when I went to go stop him, I watched my pin go over his vitals, right where I had been imagining my pin needed to be. And right when my pin hit there, I went ew, and I just collapsed and did all that other stuff and then jerked my arrow so i know i i mean without without any doubt or bet or anything like that it was definitely target panic yep totally so that's what i figured it was i just wanted to ask and make sure so i think it's good that we learn from our misses and learn what went wrong and how we can improve and so yeah no i um it happens to us and i had um i had two misses this elk season before i connected on my bull i don't know if i told you about them but I missed twice on nope, film. Nope. Yep. So, um, so I got it. So the first one, I um, we had snuck up on this bull. Let's see. I'm, I'm trying to. Oh, oh no. We were we coyoted the herd, and so we had this huge herd of elk, and we must have had 200 elk and 20 different bulls, and I mean they were going off, bugling all morning and glucking, and we had found them the night before, and then we were just working them this morning, and so we were working them with the good wind, and we were trying to cut them off in this draw without exposing ourselves, and so there was a little like finger ridge finally about nine o'clock in the morning where we were able to cut down and get in front of them, and we had elk all the way around 
around us. They were all kind of just over the top of this ridge, and the majority of the elk were at about 100 yards, but then we had elk at 30, 40 yards, and a couple smaller bulls I could have pinwheeled right there, and, and there was a, I don't know, like maybe four or six points I was looking to shoot in the group, and they were going back and forth fighting each other and glucking and bugling and chasing cows, and this one six-point, he came over to check these cows right next to us, and, and he was out there a little ways, like 60 yards somewhere right in there. Got in range. I um, I had ranged him, and I told my cameraman, I said, he's in he's in range right there. And then he, he went out of range just as quick as he was in range. So we were just patient. I was able to stand up, and I was actually exposed to all these elk, but – you know, like a like a elk just they pick up on movement, and none of these elk were spooked. We hadn't let them know I was there, and so I was able to stand up with with 200 elk right in front of me that are just rutting and feeding and doing their deal, and no idea I was there. Well, this bull circled back around, got inside range again, and I said, if I can get a good range on him, I'll kill him there. And so I got a good range on him, and I drew back cameraman got on him or whatever and as i drew back he took four steps and he took four steps and it it was kind of like diagonal away from me but i really didn't think it was a good a big deal put the pin on him and i mean mm-hmm. i executed as good a shot as i could execute where <laughs> you sit and pull 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 arrow breaks and just i think it's a dead bull as the arrows in the air and nothing the bull runs off he goes did you hit him and i go i, I shot felt good you know and i so we reviewed the footage there, and uh, yeah, I shot right underneath him. So when he took those four steps, he must have put two or three yards beyond me. And, you know, I'm shooting that mm. uh, 70 pounds, but I'm shooting a 27-inch draw and a 450-grain arrow. And so my, my arrows just have a lot of drop to him, and that two, three yards must have made the difference, and I shot right underneath that bull. So that that was my first miss and pressure on, and it was like, a, you know, and – you're a little upset you missed, and I just I couldn't I couldn't figure out why I missed for until I replayed the scenario mm-hmm. like an hour later and we talked it over and looked at the footage and go oh that's you know that's what happened there and so um, missed but it wasn't that big a deal I still had all the confidence in the world in my shooting and knew I could kill a bull well then I had my second miss of the trip so I uh, <laughs> I snuck up on a six point and we betted this six point in the morning. And uh, the wind was kind of finicky, and so we really waited till later afternoon until the winds got more consistent, had a good wind. This bull bedded on the far side of his cows in a good spot. We really thought we had a good chance on him, and so we snuck around him in his bed and, and uh, just coming over the last rise where he's going to be right there, and I... He must have heard us or something right at about 40 yards, and it's kind of where we had to come up below him. I would have liked to come up above him, but the wind was, once we got over there, it was kind of blowing down this draw. So I came up below him, had him at about 40 yards, and he stood up, and I just didn't have a shot. There was brush right in front of me right there, and and so he went to go get out of there, and I had a tree ranged at 53, and I was kind of ranging trees as we were sneaking in. So I kind of knew this tree was at 53, and then the elk starts to go and like a spooked go, like not running yet, but getting out of there. Like he, he had heard us coming up. The grass was a little noisy getting up there and two guys trying to sneak on him. And so he kind of rolled up to try to get away. And right when he got in the one shooting lane, I gave him the ew and he stopped, put my 60 yard pin on him and squeezed off and shot right over his back. So he was more like 55, you know, or I ranged the tree after I missed the shot and the tree was actually 51, not 53 and he was maybe just a couple yards behind it so um that was my second miss of the of the 
elk hunt. So yeah, uh, two misses, um, and then able to collect everything and get her done. Finally got a nice six point the last full day I had in there. And all I can say, I knew I can shoot. I know I can. Uh, it, it's just it's just bow hunting, you know. And that that second miss, it was like that was my opportunity to get a shot off, and I either. You know, I either took that shot and guessed at the yardage, or I didn't get a shot, and so I I tried to guess at the yardage. Mm-hmm. And to tell you the truth, I mean, I hardly kill anything when I don't know the exact yardage. So it didn't surprise me a whole lot. I just, you know, I felt bad that I, you know, let down the cameraman and had a second miss, but uh, finally able to get her done. You know, a, a third time's the charm, I guess. And I was three for three before this hunt, um, but then I missed those two shots, but got her done in the end. That's all that matters. Yeah, and and I'm the exact same way. If uh, I find myself very rarely hitting hitting where I'm expecting to hit when I don't know the exact yardage, and I don't know about you, but I as I'm as I'm settling my pin and starting to go through and squeeze my shot off, part of me's like, well, I kind of I hope that this is the right yardage, you know. <laughs> Yeah. Rather than rather than using your range, you know your ranger just being like, yeah, it's exactly fifty three yards or you know whatever, um, and I think that that's probably that's I know that's part of why I miss too because I'm like, yeah, well, hopefully he's that far. Yeah. Yeah. Well, here we go. And and you don't, you know, I executed a good shot and put my sixty pin on him and let it fly. But I I also noticed that I don't. If I don't know the exact yardage, I'm not as confident, like you say. And and the shot, you know, I I know I executed a good shot on that one. That wasn't the problem. But it seems like if I don't know the exact yardage and I I don't know where it's going to go or I hope it's going to hit there, I don't execute as good a shot either. I I do best when I know exact yardage, put my pin on them, execute my shot, you know, and then I just know it's a dead animal when the arrow's in the air. But but yeah, I'm I'm like you. I got a couple buddies that are pretty good at guessing yardage or they seem to kill critters when they don't know the yardage. I'm like, how in the heck do you do that? Like I'm maybe 10% on guessing yardage and and a lot of times it's an educated guess like this one i knew that tree was at 53 i should have been able to hit this bull i should have been able to know that you know he was about even with the tree or a little behind but yeah just the way it goes when it's bow hunting but uh yep we all miss that's for sure yeah i actually had something very similar to that this year on an antelope um i shoot a uh pendulum sight or slider sight and I had it set on, I don't know, 55 or 60 yards and uh, got closer than expected to these antelope. I had my four-year-old with me, um, and he was probably about, I don't know, 40, 45 yards. And, but it was, it was kind of that exact same thing with the elk. It's like, okay, either reach over and I move my sight to round 40 where I think he is and take the time to range him and not get a shot, or I draw back and I hold low um, about where I think I need to hold and so i opted the second opt-in and drew back and and uh shot and still haven't never found the arrow (laughs) (laughs) yeah no that's donated one to the 
<laughs> well, and that's the way bow hunting goes, you know, like some of these opportunities, opportunities, it's not in a perfect world. And both those elk I missed, like even that first one, when you're exposed to 200 elk and you come to full draw, there's no letting down and rearranging and moving your sight. Like you, this is your opportunity to make your shot. And in hindsight, you know, if I, if I was really on my game, I would have realized that he walked three more yards back. It was at my maximum yardage. You know, I, I should have known that arrow was going to drop and when he took those four steps i should have held that pin high on the top of his back or, or high in the vitals right there and i i think i would have killed that bull or i know i would have i executed a perfect shot and you can you can watch that arrow just miss him right low in that in the brisket right there you know right below his brisket so i know it would have killed him but yeah it says um you got to really think quick when you're in the moment and at full draw and you finally get your opportunity and it's and it's easy to make mistakes and we all do it but you just try to learn from it and try to get better and try to you know i always try to be cool under those situations cool as the backside of a pillow you know calm and collective and and execute your shot but yeah it doesn't always happen that way that's for sure (laughs) yeah i guess the the whole up kick and the adrenaline is a big part of why we all do it and enjoy it so much between that and the challenge you know yep no for sure i don't know wouldn't be near as much fun if we didn't have that kind of a feeling associated with it. <laughs> yeah, the the fog of adrenaline for sure hits you, and it's it's tough to keep your wits about you. And and for me too, like I I want to execute a good shot. Like I don't want to punch my shot off. I don't, you know. So so for me, when I'm shooting at an animal, I try to just walk myself through the steps mentally you know and so when i draw back i stick my pin on that critter and then i just want to keep pulling on my shot and i have to almost tell myself that as i i need to walk myself through the shot and i like to stay um i like to stay in that moment instead of just going into autopilot i don't like to just go into autopilot and be firing off like you remember when you first started bow hunting like if i'd shoot at an animal i hardly remembered which pin i put on them hardly remembered the shot execution but it it's all those little steps uh you know uh, getting to your anchor point you know where you leveling your bow and then for me it's not punching my trigger it's pull 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 like i gotta keep myself in that calm because the the minute i try to punch that shot off i mean who knows where it's gonna go sure on a close shot i'll make it but but on but on any further shot past 40 yards or so if i don't sit and execute my shot you know who knows where that arrow will go and it's easy when you're shooting at a target but on a on a critter it's a lot tougher for sure Mm-hmm. i agree and, and i think if there's um ever an opportunity where you're shooting at an animal with a bow and you get more than one shot it's kind of interesting you'll find yourself as so say your first shot uh, a great example is this mule deer that i shot this year I was walking down an ex- very steep incline through a bunch of rocks and looked over and saw saw a body. You know, I'm like, okay, I have no idea what it is. And I pulled up the binoculars, and obviously it was a buck. And the wind was whipping so hard, and the draw was so steep that he was in that he couldn't hear. He couldn't hear, and I mean, I was bombing down that mountain. I was like, "I'm sick of the snow. I'm sick of the wind. I've been here for eight days. It's time to go and recoup." <laughs> I'm just bombing down this mountain, and something catches my eye. I look over. I don't know, 152, 300 yards, something like that, and uh, see a deer. I'm like, oh, cool, deer. You know, pull up the binoculars. I can see antlers. I'm like, well, let's get closer. 
Well, the wind was whipping so bad where I was, and it was such a steep angle down there in the bottom that he couldn't hear or obviously smell me. And I came around on top, and for those of you who don't know, I'm very new to self-filming, and it's an interesting, interesting adventure. <laughs> and I am holding – and I'm left-handed, so I'm holding my bow in my right hand, and I am reaching underneath my bow trying to get my my camera stood up on tr- on the tripod – filming this deer and it fell over probably four times and i was just about ready to throw the camera down the hill at the deer just (laughs) this had enough and finally i got it i zoomed it in and this deer is severely quartering to me and and i shoot uh i shoot an 80 pound bow tech at like 28 and a half inch draw with a 454 grain arrow so i'm thinking okay and my angle is so steep i'm thinking if i can hit him um, just below the patch of the neck, it's going to go through the vitals and exit down the bottom, and it'll be just fine. And so I make look over, and I make sure he's still in, in camera, and I draw back, and I went to go shoot, and I missed by about two inches, and it actually went through his muzzle and came out of his jaw. And he took about... I don't know, six steps, something, ten yards, five yards, I don't even know. I knocked another arrow, drew back, and I hit him in the vitals that shot. And I could tell from my first shot to my second shot, I even took my time more so. And then he ran over and he just stood there. And I could tell he was hurting really bad, but... I don't know, I'm the kind of person that if I can get closer and get another arrow in him... um, Especially in that country, there's wolves and there's grizzly bears and all kind of that stuff. And I'm just like, you know what? I don't want him to go any farther than he has to. So I snuck over there and at 40 yards, noticed I was even calmer this shot. You know, the adrenaline had passed, took my time, double lunged him, and he went, I don't know, another 30 yards and rolled down the hill and everything like that. But just like you're saying, I mean, if you're not consciously walking yourself through the shot, you're going to punch it and who knows where where it's going to go. <laughs> yeah, that's so the truth. Yep, no, for sure. That no, that's a great example of it. And and two, I noticed like you say on the second shot you were calmer and third shot like but I find that even if I if I get a miss like the elk on this deal, like all of a sudden I'm evaluating this shot and I almost prepare myself better for the next opportunity. I want redemption so bad that I know if I get another opportunity that I'm that I'm going to execute a perfect shot and put it in there and I mean in a lot of my hunts I I have missed a critter, you know, and and then come back for redemption and and uh you know want one and work hard for another opportunity and I on the second opportunity I make it happen and make my shot, but but yeah, it's staying conscious in that shot and, and staying with your shot thinking about it you know thinking about your steps and and then executing and just not letting that fog of adrenaline get a hold of you you know as good as you can (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) and that's i i I listened to one of your shows and you were talking about i think the 10 percenters um or something along those lines and i think that right there that point that you just made is a really huge part of a difference between being successful and non-successful because as we've just covered everyone out there that bow hunts misses and as soon as you miss you can either be so upset that you're like oh well the hunt's over i missed i'm done i'm going home or 
you can do option two and stay out there and keep hunting and work hard and earn another shot and uh, fix whatever happened last time. I mean, you always have the unforeseen things, as you know. You know, maybe maybe a bad crosswind or you nicked a, a limb you couldn't see or something like that. But you can always earn another shot. Um, so I, I think that's a big part of uh, the difference between being successful and non-successful like you were talking about. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. No, I think you're I think you're right and it's so easy to get down after a miss or after even a blown stock. Um, you know, you you miss an animal and it's like you could be working hard for 6-7 days to get that opportunity, blown stocks and it finally comes together and you get that perfect 40-yard shot that you're that you're dreaming of and it's on the buck you want and you airball it. You punch your trigger, you you miss or maybe it's an unforeseen thing, but you almost feel like, "Oh my gosh, that was the toughest thing I've ever done. Like how am I ever going to get that opportunity again? That was perfect. It was gift wrap for me and I messed it up. My hunt over and you get so down in the dumps and like you were saying at the beginning of our conversation you know your season is an up and down season and i think a hunt is up and down and i that is definitely the lowest of lows and when you feel your worst but that's that's the time when you're tested to be able to pick yourself back up and to get yourself back in the game mentally and to keep going and try to earn that other opportunity and and anymore you know i've had enough lows that i know how to pick myself up but it's tough. I mean, you, you even, you know, you any buck or any bull you miss, you know, but especially, you know, gosh, if you missed a 200 inch or you missed that, that 350 bull you've been dreaming and working hard all season and you finally got close and you airball, you're going to be your lowest of lows. You're, you're lower than you can even plan for before season or before you can, you can't even foresee how low you're going to be. But that's the test of, of a hunter and a, and, and a successful mindset is being able to say, you know what it happened I, i'm gonna earn another opportunity i'm gonna keep hunting hard to the end i'm gonna keep making stocks i know what i did wrong i know i can execute another shot and, and i think you're right i think that is a, a big key to success yeah absolutely you just like you say pick yourself up and 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 i i like the word to use analyze because um me, I was I was fortunate to have some of it on camera, so I could definitely see where the arrow went. You know, I could see for sure that I didn't. You know, because as a, as a hunter, one of the worst feelings is the world is when you do something or you hit a tree branch or something like that, and the arrow hits like a back leg, or you know, something really that that you have. You know, you just have to watch the animal and then you have to go try again. But that's it's. I would much rather 10 times over have a clean miss and be able to analyze it and fix it, you know, next time than be like, okay, now what do I do with this animal that I just shot and, and it was a complete unfortunate hit. Um, that's just terrible feeling. <laughs> yeah, no, that's the absolute worst. Like you say, you're way better off if you miss clean and you can just wash it away and say, well, you know, no harm, no foul. I didn't hit anything. Nothing's wounded. I don't got to chase it for the next four or five days and try to catch up to it. I, I can actually start with a clean slate, execute my shot next time. But 
but no, you're right. And and even you know those scenarios as a bow hunter does happen. No matter how perfect you try to be, no matter how much you practice, no matter how much you you execute your shot on game animals, uh, sooner or later it is going to happen where you have a less than perfect shot. And I I think there you got to have a game plan for your for your follow up. You know you got to evaluate you know where that arrow hit, what how that animal acted, how the blood trail is. But those next steps you take after that that bad hit or that hit that was less than perfect are going to decide whether you get that animal or not. And, and sometimes, you know, there, there's nothing you can do and you, you nick it, give it a haircut, whatever it is. And, and it's a superficial wound that isn't going to get them. And, and you have that decision to make too, you know, whether, whether you're going to burn your tag because you, you hit something or whether you're going to keep hunting. And if it's a haircut or a cut, or, you know, you can see that elk is still alive, a day later or whatever, you know, then you can just focus on that deer for the rest of your hunt or, you know, you can you can choose to keep hunting. Or if you if you really wound something bad and believe that it is dead, then you, you give it absolutely all your effort to try to find that animal, try to get another stock on that animal or or last case scenario, you know, to um, you know, is, is to notch your tag as, um, you know, figure, well, I killed him. I couldn't find him. I made a less than perfect hit. I don't feel right about chasing another critter. I'm going to notch my tag and this is my hunt for this season. And it's, you know, it, it's you legally, you don't have to do that, but ethically you have to make that decision with yourself to, to always make sure that you're, you're making a decision you can live with and, and making a decision for the next year. You're going to think about what happened, whether you notch your tag or not, or you find that deer or not, you're, you're gonna think about this this uh, encounter you had and and how the shot went and and uh, so so there too is you have to have to look at it ethically and what your next steps are when you when you do make a bad hit and and give it all your effort to try to recover that animal as best you can but it's a tough position but I mean that's the reality uh, of not only bow hunting but all hunting it, it is going to happen to you and you have to you have to know you know what your next steps are and and what you can live with you know after the scenario is done so it's a tough part of bow hunting that not many guys talk about but it, it is a, a part of it yeah and i really like how you you threw in there you have to make the decision that you can live with because as as you know i mean you hunt is harder harder than anyone that i know and walk out there where where people wouldn't see you so as you know i mean if something like that happened to you or something like that happened to me and i was in some drainage and nobody saw it I mean, by like you say, it, it is completely your call. But at the end of the day, if you made the call that you can't live with, that's just going to eat on you the whole entire time, you know, because nobody else is out there to hold you accountable. You don't have to tell anyone about it if you truly really choose not to. Um, so that decision is what's going to haunt you for the rest of the year until next season. It might even haunt you through that next season if if you really didn't make the right decision. So I really like how you said, you know, it's it's something that you have to be able to live with. Yep, I think so. Yeah, you know, and um, and, and you you're the ultimate judge of yourself. And I I think also in hunting too, you're gonna you're gonna be faced with decisions, and not only on a bad shot or on a a shot that's less than perfect, but I I think also hunting's gonna test you, and it's going to test your character and, and it's gonna you're gonna get a choice to make the the right or wrong decision throughout your hunting career and, and sure you may get away with it a time or two making the wrong decision but eventually it's going to catch up to you and you also have to live with it but you know and, and my point i'm making here is there's 
um, you know, being uh, hunting public lands, a lot of times animals are going to be on the edge of private public, and you're going to be faced with the decision maybe you're miles back whether to cross a fence line or whether to, you know, chase an animal that you hit after that. And, it, you know, ultimately you have to hold yourself to a higher standard, and you have to try to make the right decision all the time because um, it, it, it's your it's your character that's on the line there. And like even even this last trip. You know, in, in all trips, I'm I'm tested, and there's different things that come up. But you know, you you just um, you, you've got to make the right decision and the right decision for you, and hold yourself to a higher standard. But even this last trip, we we chased that 200 elk, and like we say, I missed that bull, and they went up. They crossed a little corner of private land back onto public up and through there, and, and the right wind approach was up that draw through a quarter of of private land that was not any bigger than I could throw a rock across the corner of it where the stock mm-hmm. would be for the wind to be right. But you're faced with those decisions and every time you have to make the right decision, have to go around and we ended up not making a play that afternoon because the wind wasn't right unless you were coming up that draw and we ended up waiting until the evening till they came back down on that public. But I, I think it's just a good lesson for people because you are going to be tested whether it's a bad shot or whether it's private public or whether you know it's to not notch your tag to go after another animal, but you're going to be faced with these decisions all throughout your hunting career and and throughout life really. And I try to hold myself to that higher standard. You know when I'm when I'm building houses as well, I try to never take a shortcut and I try to always be honest with people. But I, I just I, I think it's really important for for us hunters to hold ourselves to a higher higher standard and and always try to make the right decision. Exactly, and especially when there's so many people that are trying to get it shut down and stop it. I mean, if if everyone out there were taking the shortcuts, just like you're saying, and cutting across that that little piece of private or whatever else, um, that just makes it that much easier for them to say, "Yep, no more hunting." <laughs> you know, something that we have worked so hard to keep and that we all hold so dear and near to our hearts, and it's what we look forward to every year. It, it is still a privilege at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And and who wants to look up on a wall and, and even see a 200-inch deer, or a, a 375 bull, or whatever, whatever a trophy is, even a five-point bull, and see that and know that you crossed a fence or know that you did something wrong or know that, hey, you know, before I shot that one, I made a bad shot on another animal and I kept chasing them or whatever the scenario is, you know, that would haunt me. It, it, it ruined, my, ruined my hunting and ruined the trophy that I had on on the wall and so yeah i i mean i think it's important for us guys to always hold ourselves to that higher standard and always try to make the right decision and and do the right thing whenever faced and like you say a lot of times it's it's nobody else that's going to judge us nobody will know about it unless you tell them nobody would catch you you're 10 miles back nobody it's it's your it's only going to be you that knows it but eventually that'll catch up to you eventually you know something will catch up to you and so that's where you've got to make that right decision and and hold yourself to a higher standard and 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 take your your character uh, of your hunting and and the character of yourself in in a high regard whenever you're you're making decisions in the field yep i agree completely that's that's for sure it all comes back down to your character and like say at the end of the day what you think of yourself (laughs) yeah absolutely so, but yeah, kind of off subject there, but, um, you know, I, I do think it's important for us hunters to, to realize that and, and to go into season with that. But, 
But yeah, no, it's good. It sounds like uh, so you've got some antelope meat in the freezer, deer meat in the freezer. Like I say, I think I've got uh, uh, deer and antelope and an elk. I've got a couple mule deer hunts coming up, and so I'm looking forward to those. We're kind of into that mid-season, kind of before the rut, kind of the toughest time to to hunt mule deer. Um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to. It. I got a mule deer tag in Montana, and then a mule deer tag in New Mexico, and I, I got a hunt coming up next weekend that I'm really excited about. They have a two-day ewe season, and so my oldest daughter, um, she harvested a deer last year, so this year we're going on like an adventure mule deer hunt, and so we've been practicing with a rifle. We got out and shot again this weekend, and then, um, you know, I think it's just important. You know, I I got Taylor. She, uh, my oldest daughter's name's Taylor. We got her at bow hunting last year, and this year with her sports and everything, um, you know, we're she just wanted to focus on the rifle hunt and rifle. You know, it's good to start kids out with a rifle because they get, um, you know, they they get a little bit uh, of positive reinforcement. They can have some success. They can um, have some excitement. And so, um, you know, it's good to build on that and kind of start them that way. So we've been practicing. She's got a little 7mm08. And so got out and did some live firing and then we have her practicing for the last few weeks so just her shooting positions it it comes so natural to us guys to know to lay down and get a rest or to sit down and rest our, our elbows on our knees and and get a rest on our rifle or or whatever the case is but for these kids and new hunters you know like like my oldest daughter and my wife right now has an antelope tag we're trying to get out for those but it's important to practice those and then we do dry fire drills like on my deer target out there where i say okay get in a sitting position set up the sticks we get her placement right get her tucked into the rifle acquire her 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 target and then squeeze on the trigger and so um it really makes a good shot out of these kids so we're i'm really looking forward to that next weekend we're gonna go hit it hard and see if we can kill her we're just gonna look for a nice mature mule deer like a three or four point or something like that so i'm looking forward to that that's awesome and that's it's so cool to see people you know really involving their kids in the outdoors uh anyone that knows me or follows me my son goes literally everywhere with me um because i have him every set of days off so if i plan on going hunting then he's going with me and uh we backpacked in and he carried his own backpack for the majority of it and we went five miles in one way and uh he was there every step of the way uh got to see wolves we had, we had a whole pack of wolves at about 24 yards um sow and grizzly and <clears throat> had a bullet 50 yards in the trees with no shot and had a I don't know, heard of about 10 or 11 with a bull at about 40 yards that we snuck in on. Uh, ended up, I ended up moving too much. It wasn't even his fault. I ended up moving too much and I blew him out of the country. <laughs> he was, he was sitting over there like a bump on a log, just looking at the elk, thinking it was the coolest thing ever. And I moved too much and blew him out of the country. <laughs> so, oh, no. yeah, no, but it, in, and it's really amazing when you're able to start to portray your love and your passion for the outdoors into your kids. Um, it's amazing what they can do and how much they'll start loving it and wanting to do it with you. Yeah, how cool. How old's your boy? Uh, four. <laughs> four. Yeah, gosh, you got him started out young. That's great. Yeah, yeah. He's got his own bow and shoots balloons and all that kind of – he loves it. He really does. 
Oh, how cool. Yeah, good for you. No, that is the key, uh, starting these kids out young and trying to get them experiences out in the outdoors. We've done quite a bit of backpacking with our girls, too, and um, yeah, try to get them out hunting. And I've had my youngest daughter has been my hunting partner this year at eight. You know, we've been out antelope hunting a little bit here and there. Um, and then my oldest daughter, she's been so busy. She'd work in a, a job or a sale that we have here with mom. And then, um, and then she's had volleyball and basketball and that, but, uh, yeah, we're looking forward to this weekend and, and just getting out and spending some time together and also good truck time for, you know, just me and her to spend time together, kind of where we can have some more serious talks and just talk about life and where she's headed and just try to help give her some guidance as we go. So yeah, no, I'm really looking forward to it. It'd be fun to, fun to get her out and, and, uh, hopefully we can find some deer i think we can they got a two-day use season here in montana which is just a great program where um this thursday and friday is 16 and under can hunt but nobody else can and so they get like a two-day youth deer season before any of the general rifle hunters so we kind of got to jump on everybody and so yeah i've got a handful of spots we're gonna go check out so yeah hopefully we can get her a nice deer well, yeah, I mean, you're you're pretty good at finding deer, Brian. I think you guys will be good to kill. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think we'll be able to find a couple. But yeah, no, it'll it'll be fun to get her out. She's a good walker and in good shape, and she's 12 now. So um, yeah, we'll go we'll go walk her hard, but not too hard. You know, there's a fine line there too between you know ruining them on hunting and having them have a fun experience. And so I've had her. She missed an elk last year with her bow. There was actually a bull in the group. She missed a cow. And uh, she had to, she has to get about 20 yards. Just she doesn't mm-hmm. have much energy in her bow, and that's her longest shot she can take. But uh, we spotted these these elk from the house. I said, well, they're all the way to the top of this mountain. You want to go for them? It was like 4 o'clock kind of stormy. And so she said, yeah, she wanted to go for them. But uh, I pushed her to her limits that day. We were pushing a really good pace to the top of the mountain. And after we got to the top and she got a shot, you know, it, it was all smiles and a fun encounter. And great, I took her up there. But I can push her a little too hard, too, you know. So I got to I gotta be careful of that as well. Yep, I agree. There's times where I, and my son's four, so he's a little bit younger, but it's it's still the exact same thing. You push them too hard and make them not enjoy it, then they're not going to want to go anymore. <laughs> and it happens, it can happen very quickly. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Yep, with these kids, it's a fine line between having fun and not having fun anymore. <laughs> so yeah, no, yeah. It's, a, it's a line we got to walk, but you know, public lands hunting is, is tough. You got to walk miles and you got to get back into the backcountry to find critters and get those experiences. So yeah, it's just a fine line and about communicating with them and letting them know how far you got to go and then and then also for us dads sometimes we got to give in a little bit early and walk back to the truck and go eat some goldfish and a capri sun or something you know (laughs) that's so true especially especially when you're used to just go 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 and and really competitive um which obviously you are you wouldn't be be hunting high country animals um but i i'm the exact same way i'm like he's four years old calm down Quit being an ass. Just chill out. Like he's four. <laughs> yep, exactly. Yep. And well, and I, you know, I expect her to take things seriously, and I want to see effort. But there, I've got to do my part too to not push her too hard. And I, yeah, I can remember. And we were hunting antelope pretty hard last year with her bow. She had a, a bow tag or whatever, and um, she got drawn back on a couple of them, and we were close. And I, I remember one buck we were trying to sneak up on, and we were belly crawling, and he was right in the perfect spot where I 
knew she could get a shot, kind of a younger buck and by himself. And she didn't get quite low enough on the crawl. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of, uh, you know, it was, it, she spooked the buck cause she wasn't down low enough. I was down in front and, and afterwards it was like, Hey, you know, I, I don't expect you to be the best hunter in the world or the best shot, or I don't expect too much out for you. But if you want to come hunting with me and you want to go, you have to put forth the effort. You have to get low enough and you have to try. And if you're, if you're not enjoying it anymore, you know, you don't have to come, but if you're going to come, you got to put forth the effort. And so we kind of had that conversation last year, which like you say, I'm probably (laughs) a little bit more intense than I should be, but she's getting to the age where she understands and I can have conversations about it, you know, and, and just say, you know, I'd, we're out here chasing antelope, you know, so you can get a shot and, and try to get in close, but it's not going to be easy. And if you want to get one, it's going to take a lot of effort and a, a lot of hard work. You know, you got to you gotta take those little steps that are necessary and you got to, you know, get down lower and belly crawl. We just had a few yards to make it and you would have had a shot there, you know, or whatever the case is. So I can be a little intense at times too, but I, I do expect effort out of her, you know, to try hard. But um, so I've got to walk a fine line and then, you know, trying to teach her the right way and not really on it you know so yeah, yeah. It, it is a fine line to walk that's for sure <laughs> yeah i agree it's uh, but and i'm i i agree completely if you're going to take them out there you you may not be able to ask for a really anything and or expect really anything but you do expect one thing and that's that they at least try yep and and that and that's how i am too i'm like if you're not even going to try then why are we even here like <laughs> This makes zero sense to me. If you're not going to try and put forth the effort, then we can just go home. You can watch cartoons. And I'll go shoot my bow in the backyard and get ready for next weekend or something. You know, it's like... <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the way it is. It, um, yeah, just trying to teach them the right way and give them the right guidance and just let them know what it's all about. And after they get that excitement or get they get those close encounters, and, you know, I think Taylor hunted like 10 days bow hunting she missed that elk got drawn on a couple antelope and then we got into rifle season and she really liked rifle hunting and i don't rifle hunt anymore for myself and so she had never really experienced it so we practiced with the rifle and got on last year and then you know rifle hunting and that's not not always a given either you know and especially with kids that like i say they're not used to getting into the shooting positions quickly or acquiring their target quickly or doing it with with less movement and and not that Not that I expect her to or anything like that, but, you know, we we had to go out quite a few days with the rifle as well to try to get her first deer. And so that was a mission, too. And on on public land, it's just not easy. We got a, you know, we went out on the youth hunt. We weren't successful. And so we had to then hunt with the general rifle season and general rifle tags. And and we were just looking to to kill a deer, whether it was a doe or a buck. And, and, uh, you know, we had a couple close calls. And also, you know, I want a good experience to where we're going to sneak close and get a shot and make sure she makes a good shot but i'm not gonna i'm not gonna have her take a, a shot outside her skill level she's just not quite there yet and so you know we got to get inside 100 yards if we're gonna shoot something and so you know there was a couple opportunities that kind of blew up and nobody's fault it's just um the way it goes when you're trying to get a shot or whatever but we did finally get uh an opportunity and we were sneaking along this fence line last year and like I say, this is probably the fourth or fifth day rifle hunting, something like that, and and uh, sneaking along this fence line. There's deer around, and and uh, we we spot this this buck, and so I get her set up. It's about 80 yards, and it's just a it's a little two point or something like that. But we're just looking for any legal deer, and so mm-hmm. um, I get her set up, and I've got my my tripod, which is kind of like shooting sticks. I set out in front of her, and she gets a rest on, and she's on. She says, "Can I shoot it?" And I said, "Yeah, yeah." I said, "Just squeeze on the trigger, just like we practiced, you know." And and uh, 
boom, she shoots and God, that gun about rocks her back. She about falls over backwards into my arms. You know, she's just got, she weighs about 65 pounds. She's yeah. small like I was small at, at 11, 12 or whatever. So yeah, it about rocks her back, you know, backwards out of the shooting position. Uh, uh, and the deer just drops. It folds right there. She nails it and makes a good shot. And, so it dies. Awesome. And, and she had no idea. She goes, did I hit it? And I go, yeah, you nailed it. It's dead. And she looks at me and she goes, oh, the gun didn't even kick. <laughs> I thought, I thought, yeah, the gun about knocked you over backwards are you kidding me but it's that uh excitement you don't even realize it kicks and that it kind of made everything worthwhile all her time out elk hunting and bow hunting and all the miles we had worked and how hard she worked it it uh it it made it seem pretty cool and and kind of completed the circle uh you know her excitement level was off the charts you know she was smiling and jumping up and down and and uh super excited so we went up there and yeah able to get her first year and then you know able to get nice photos of it or whatever whatever for her to show her friends and then she wanted to make jerky out of it and so of course we made some some good jerky for her but uh what a cool experience you know not only for her but for dad too to be able to share that and then have a a little bit of success on top of it after we had worked so hard but but that Mm -hmm. was really what i was trying to show her the whole year and we were we were finally able to accomplish that but that's really cool for your kids so yeah we're we're hoping for a repeat this year Awesome. Well, good luck. I hope you guys go out and smoke one. Mm-hmm. Yep, I hope so. We're gonna have fun anyway. So yeah, we'll absolutely we'll, we'll give her heck anyway. So yeah, it'd be good to put a little bit more meat in the freezer too. So yeah, hopefully we can we can get her done. So yep. What? So you said you got a whitetail hunt coming up, a doe and a buck hunt coming up. You were saying? Yep, yep. Uh, here in here in Wyoming as well. Um, just late season whitetail starts November first, um, and the doe tag is something like I'm, and and I'm kind of like you, and, and I'm really curious to know about your your decision to just start bow hunting. Um, I think that'd be a kind of a fun topic to discuss. But anywho, yeah. So of course it's rifle season. Um, everybody else will be out there with a rifle, um, but I am just itching and i mean itching to go there and just sling some sticks um but there's there is not very much public land i mean very very little uh that actually are holding the whitetails and there's a few ranches that allow you to go hunt but they allow rifle hunting and not bow hunting um which still to this day is seeming very very odd to me um, it's, it's pretty hard to mistake a cow for a whitetail buck at 25 yards. Um, but <laughs> for whatever reason, they don't, I, I, I have no idea why, but they do not offer archery hunting. So that's kind of frustrating. Um, but like you, I, I don't, I actually don't even own a rifle. Um, so I have a, I have a, a 204 Ruger, you know, to shoot coyotes and I never go coyote hunting. So, um, yeah, if it comes down to it and I do have to use a rifle, I borrow my dad's 270. And, uh, but other than that, I just, I'll crash, I'll, I'll have success or I'll crash and burn with my bow. And, and I don't know, I just, I guess I just like the challenge. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, we all kind of get to that point in our hunting career where, um, you know, and I, I used to love to hunt with a rifle and I, um, I used to love to trophy hunt with a rifle and hunt big bulls with my rifle and also, you know, trophy mule deer and, and, uh, I would get into it 
and, and uh, chase them around. But but at the end of the day, I'd, I'd get something with my rifle, and I think, boy, I I really want to kill something like that with my bow, you know. And I kill it, and and my bow harvest would just always mean that much more to me, being close and and, and getting close, and and you have so many failed stocks and so many miles put into it. Well, these these extra miles and failed stocks equals more hunting days and more experience mm-hmm. that you can improve and be a better hunter. And, and so eventually I just got to the decision. I, I think the the last bull I shot 2005, I killed one of my biggest bulls with a rifle, like a 355, something like that. And, and after I shot that bull, I just made the decision and said, you know, God, I just really want a bull like this with my bow, and I'm gonna put all my effort into it, and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna just bow hunt. I just I want to kill a bull like that with my bow, and even if I have to work up to it, you know, that's what I'm gonna do. And so, um, yeah, committing to the bow was probably the best thing I ever did, and I learned a lot from rifle hunting, and I I gained a lot of my knowledge from rifle hunting. But it seemed like once I committed to my bow, like I say, the it's so tough, and you get so many days of field. That, that you're improving your hunting skill set by so much, you know, because you're you're getting that many more opportunities, that many more chances, and you're out there afield that many more days, and then you're always staying in a bow hunter's mindset. You know, I notice like even this past week hunting elk. You know, all of a sudden my my cameraman's trying to think about the wind, and every once in a while he'll pull out his wind checker, and it's like, but I've been keeping an eye on the wind for the last hour. It's been here at our face, here at my ear, and here at this deal. You know, I know exactly <laughs> how it's pulling up all these canyons because it's always on my mind. I know I know every wind direction from thermal to directional, and not to say that I never get winded, but it's something I am constantly thinking about. And I don't, you know, I all pull out my wind checker too, but I don't need to pull out my wind checker, you know, every ten minutes. To say what's the wind doing now right here it's like i i know what the directionals are doing and i know what the thermals are doing because i i've thought about it since we left the truck an hour before dark i know exactly what the wind's gonna i know what it did yesterday i know what it did the day before that i know what you know i just know it because i i'm always paying attention to that because i'm always in a bow hunter's mindset and when i glass up an animal i'm always thinking about how i'm gonna stock it with a bow and keeping in that bow hunter's mindset it 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 makes me better it it improves me and i it it improves my hunting skill and so I, I mean for me I, I was just ready for the move and so yeah I haven't looked but since 2005 I haven't shot anything with a rifle I've been bow only so it's been about um what, 10 years now um, I guess this year yeah 10 years this year and so um it's the best move I ever could have made and then also you know you're just focused on on putting in for archery only tags and hunting archery seasons you seem to hunt longer but then you know like now like this um this mule deer hunt coming up in montana i'll hunt it during general rifle season and it's general rifle where they don't control how many guys have tags every resident has a tag for here and and something like eighteen thousand non-residents have a tag and there's a bunch of rifle hunters around but it, it's when you when you become a good bow hunter when you become a good hunter you know you're you're not worried about who has a rifle and who has a bow i know i'm a good efficient hunter and i know if i see an animal i can sneak up on it and i know these pockets where these deer are going to hang out and where i can find them and how to get away from the pressure and so you know i i think uh the uh, uh, nine out of ten years i i've shot a a a deer with my bow during general rifle season and so yeah once you make that transformation which it sounds like you're in now you 
know, and, and sometimes, you know, switching off to a rifle to put some meat in the freezer or have a little success, it's not a bad thing. And it's not like you got to commit to a bow for your, your ego or to tell somebody you're bow only or whatever. It was just the right move for me. It just meant so much more to get bow harvest for me, and I, I enjoyed it so much more. So that's kind of why I made the switch. Yeah, no, and, and that's that's actually – I kind of um... – and last year, uh, it was it was kind of like that situation, just like you said. You know, like I got to the point where okay, I needed meat for the freezer. Um, let's go make something happen. I don't really care what it is. Uh, you know, as long as it's legal, I'm going to shoot it just so I can have something in the freezer. Um, but that, that's kind of how my switch was too. I mean, I shoot something with a rifle. And I'm like, okay, that was fun, but I would have enjoyed it a ton more if I'd have been it. 25 yards with my bow and that feeling just continued to grow every year and every year and i finally just decided that this year i was like you know what i'm just i'm just putting in for bow only tags and and i'm like if i shoot something with my bow so be it if i don't well then i guess <laughs> then i guess i didn't shoot something um now in wyoming our our general deer tag is you know you can you can hunt rifle or bow uh same with our antelope tags you don't have to specify um but i personally chose that it was my two main goals to shoot everything with a bow and get everything on camera um because like you say it just means so much more to me um if i shoot 140 inch mule deer um and i shoot it with my bow I make a great shot and I get it on camera. That means more to me than shooting a 200-inch deer with a rifle. It just that's just my personal opinion. You know, it just does. Um, so kind of the exact same thing for you. So I, this year I just was like, you know what? That's Colorado. I had a bow tag. Uh, I struck out in Colorado. I had a couple great bulls. Found a good area to just go to. Um, and so that's why I'm just itching so badly <laughs> to go try and shoot this whitetail with my bow. But I'm just. I'm just hurting to find a spot that because there, there's the little tiny pieces of public that cross the river are so small that if I were to shoot one with my bow, chances are it would run over onto private and then I'd have to deal with going to get permission to go get it and everything like that. And most of the ranches around there are not real kind when it comes to doing that. So it's kind of, you know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, you're in a tough position there, but you know, I'm I'm sure there's an answer to still use that bow, you know. Guys just got to look at his maps and might have to drive a little further or drive in the day, but I'm sure there's an answer a place you can go on public that you can find where you can go chase him with your bow. But yeah, that's um you definitely going to up the degree of difficulty trying to get one with your bow during rifle and you you got to be okay with the fact that you might not get one, but the encounters you get in the days of field you're going to get in the days of field with your bow and thinking in a bow hunter's mindset will are going to pay dividends for next season on your elk hunt in colorado or like me my ultimate goal is to kill 200 inch muleys in the high country you know and so if, if i'm going to get more stocks on mule deer and and yeah i could kill a way bigger buck with my rifle during rifle season i could i could you know not to throw out sizes or but you know i could kill 180 inch deer every year with my rifle out out rifle hunting but instead mm -hmm. I, I choose to hunt with a bow and i don't always get it done on those great big ones i'm more like in the one 
60 range out there, you know, because I get more opportunities and I'm able to hunt. But it improves my hunting skills so much to where then next year when I do have a bow only opportunity in the high country, you know, then I, I'm just that much better when I when I do glass up a 200 inch deer and have that much more confidence. So I, I think it's a great transition and it may come down to it where you need to use a rifle to put some meat in the freezer. But I, I, I'd keep your bow hunting mindset and just try to find a spot to get out with your bow and and do some shooting and i mean yeah you can't have them cross onto somebody's ranch but you know if you're hunting your public land and you got a decent piece and even if it's a mile by mile or a half mile by mile if you hit that thing right he you know he's not going to go that far you know it, mm-hmm. he'll, he'll probably die before he gets across the river or whatever it is and and if and if he does go across and you do have to deal with it you are in the right and you are you know illegally you can shoot him on public land and i know it's frowned upon to go ask permission but the same thing could happen with a 270 rifle too where you hit mm-hmm. a deer and he runs across the river i mean that scenario could play out a bunch of different ways no matter or which weapon but man i think i'd keep with it you set your goal to be out with your bow this year and as as long as it's legal and you can find some places to hunt i'd keep with it and see if you can't get it done with your bow yeah well thanks for the thanks for the uplift i appreciate it my a couple of my other buddies was like yeah i i think it's pretty stupid to go down there with your bow and i'm like well i guess you don't know me that well <laughs> yeah uh, like I get some, I get some super strange looks like going up into the hills. God, and I had I about shot this giant muley this one day, and two horse guys coming down the trail. I thought I was absolutely out of my mind, and and my buddies too. And I meet them at the trail, and they have a rifle, and I have a bow. You know, I probably don't have the best opportunity in the world, but I'm just committed to that bow and committed to getting that one more stock this year. That's going to make me that much better for next year, or give me that much better chance to to harvest my goal animals next year. And so. You know, I'll I'll take it. I'll be a little crazy and go out with my bow. And you know, at, at first, uh, my buddies thought I was a little crazy, and 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 now, you know, with the success I've had with my bow, they don't think I'm crazy anymore. And and now, you know, a few of them are starting to bring out their bow during rifle season, and so <laughs> it's caught on. They've seen that that you know that that has made me better, and 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 that I'm not out of my mind. That it that uh, it's going to pay dividends in the future. You know, and if not this year, so yeah, there is. Um, it, it's catching on, and I think. It's it's a good thing, you know, as long as, you know, and you've got meat in your freezer. So, you know, I don't know if you, if you absolutely have to make a harvest or not, but like I say, those days and encounters you're going to get walking around with your bow are going to make you that much better. Mm-hmm. And it's funny too, when you switch, like you're talking about into the bow hunter's mindset, it's funny when you see any animal, um, you start to watch them as if you were in within killing range of your bow and you watch them walk and, and every – you know, you watch them. They take that one step forward and you're like, okay, this is where I would stop him. Then I would execute my shot. This is where I would aim. And it's kind of interesting when you start to switch. You're like, wow, interesting. <laughs> yeah, or I look at them and go, god, I wish I was right there over that rise. Or man, right. if I was set up right there, that wind's perfect. I'd kill him from right there. Yeah, just always thinking in that bow hunter's mindset for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, cool, Brian. I don't know. Uh, I mean, we can obviously cut this little piece out. I don't know um, where you really wanted to go with that. We didn't really. We just kind of started talking, which I didn't think was a bad thing. But uh, yeah, I don't. I didn't know if there was something that you really wanted to cover or where you wanted to go. So I figured I would ask before. I yeah, I don't know. I just figured I'd get your opinion. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, for sure. I think it's great. It's just a organic conversation just about bow hunting. I think we touched on a lot of different subjects as far as, uh, you know, our, our seasons. I think we covered our misses, which is just great. I think guys can learn from that. And, and sometimes, you know, when you have so, so much success, guys think you don't miss or they think they're, um, they're doing something wrong when they miss. And uh, we all miss and, and it happens to all of us. It's just about learning from it and getting better and, and covered bad hits on animals and, and what the right thing to do is and in character building and faced with tough decisions you know and and i think we're we're all faced with those decisions every single year time and time again whatever it is and it might not be crossing private or crossing public it might not even you know be a situation like that but you're gonna be faced with decisions to do the right and wrong thing and and ultimately you know you want to hold yourself to a higher standard set a good example for other bow hunters and other hunters out there set a good examples for your kids and and just in life and in bow hunting and then yeah I, I think that's great talk about our hunts we got coming up and and uh, i think we covered a lot of good topics i know i i think we're i think we're on the right track and i i like how our conversations just progress and and uh, i think guys can get good tips from it for sure cool cool yeah well and i think and and i'd like to get your thoughts on this because i'm i'm planning quite a few hunts for this next year um and i was kind of wondering what your thoughts on Basically, when you get to your point where, you know, whether it's, whether it's the end of November, whether it's December, whether it's January, and you're like, okay, it's time to start planning this next season. Here's where I'm going to apply. This is why. Yada, yada, yada. Um, I think that would be kind of a cool conversation because I know a lot of my buddies that are like, yeah, I would, I would really love to hunt, but I don't know when to look into it. I don't know what I really need to look for, and obviously not the specifics of where we apply. And because, as you know, when you do the work and you finally find a good place, it's like I'm not telling a soul. <laughs> um, but I, I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on something like that? Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, I mean, because um, you you try to figure out, you know. Uh, like uh, me and you, we're always trying to figure out how much time we can have and how many hunts we can fit in and what we can apply for, you know, and, and mm-hmm. kind of what our goals and ambitions are. And I, I always lean, I always love to hunt high country mule deer, but I kind of break up my season. You know, I want to get an elk hunt in there. I want to get a high country mule deer hunt or two in there, and then and then I look towards the late season. So I try to plan out my year where I can do a bunch of different hunts and be hunting for three, four, or five months. It would be the ultimate goal um and then when i when i start looking like for um you know for for high country hunts or for elk hunts you know i i kind of start with you know what state i want to hunt you know and and whatever state that is whether you know even if i'm looking in my home state i'll start breaking down my home state or maybe i you know i want to hunt a a different state And, and a different state it can be you know, maybe you heard a hunch about it. Maybe you saw a picture in a magazine. Maybe, you know, you've always heard good things. But we all have this state in our mind when we think a high country mule deer. We think, a, you know, Colorado or Wyoming or, where, you know, Utah or, you know, whatever state that, that you think you'd like to hunt, you know, you, you kind of start diving into that state you start looking at when their application deadlines are due and then you start looking at their tags and and how many points it's going to take and and it's tough to get tags every single year where you've almost got to start planning ahead but i like to hunt units 
I, I don't like to wait 10 years for a unit to hunt. For me, I'd rather hunt a unit every couple years and really learn it and then and then kill a big, big buck out of there that way. But I do want trophy potential in there. And so what I try to look for is I look for sought-after tags with a rifle. I look for sought-after tags that have, uh, with bow tags and muzzle loader, And I kind of start to break it down and look for tags that I can maybe get in a couple, two, three years. Or, or maybe I can get it in one year or zero years. I've got a lot of places that I hunt with zero and one points that I've killed giant bucks out of and, and, and good bulls out of. And so, but I, I try to get a feel kind of for, for what, uh, what, what's a sought after tag. And I, I kind of just mix up all this information. So if I'm breaking down one state, I look for the sought after tags and then, you know, you can go on Boone and Crockett and Pope and Young's website and they'll tell you how many animals have come from each county. So Boone and Crockett bucks, you know, what's a Boone and Crockett buck? 195, I think, or something like that. For typical, I I think that's exactly what it is. Yeah, one ninety five for typical, yeah. and like two, two ten. Don't quote me for a non typical or whatever. And so every entry into the Boone and Crockett is just letting you know where the big ones live. And so mm-hmm. you can kind of break it down by counties to see that okay, twenty three Boone and Crockett bucks were killed out of this county, and then a hundred and five Pope and Youngs. And Pope and Youngs a little bit less. It's like a one forty five mule deer net typical for Pope and Young but you can see the scores in there as well and they're not always on that low side a lot of them are bigger bucks so I start to kind of do a county map and then I'll start to write down numbers uh okay sought after tags I'll kind of circle and they don't always lie in one county sometimes they're two and so I'll put a where the sought after tags are and where tags that I think I can get and one two points and then I start marking out the counties and I'll mark Pope and Young and Boone and Crockett and so I kind of dive into this and and I kind of dive after my hunting season is over January unless there's a tag that that comes due before that and and then I just spend my winners researching on the computer and so I start to break it down Boone and Crockett entries Pope and Young entries sought after tags then I start to look at the country and for me high country mule deer it's got to be the right fit for me it's got to be the right high mountain range I want to hunt and the the right spot that's conducive to glassing and and so I kind of look at at areas on on Google Earth and look on maps and and then I look for you know if one county's really good for Boone and Crockett bucks I look at bordering counties counties that are around it that maybe a lot of people don't get to or mountain range but i i want to make sure there's trophy potential and i want to make sure i can get a tag there and so i start to break it down that way and i don't get super specific in my tag application process i just try to find the mountain range i want to hunt or the unit i want to hunt that sits within a good county and and then i just start applying and you know some guys are worrying about drawing too many tags i've never drawn too many tags (laughs) (laughs) i mean it's just like uh, i mean i've drawn a lot of tags but i just try to plan it out but i i've never drawn where it's like oh my gosh i got a a sheep a goat a moose and three mule deer tags in the same time frame i just it just doesn't happen and so you can put in for a couple tags in the same time frame and you kind of look at the odds of the tags and you can kind of figure what you got a good chance of drawing and what you don't and and then just try to break it up like you say your early season mule deer you know your elk season your your late season mule deer and the, you know like maybe your rut hunts and then and then your extreme late mule deer season or a coos deer season and and i try to find the unit i want to hunt and once i find the unit i'll dive into the mountain range a little bit and and kind of look but i'm not 
looking for the exact trailhead I want to hike up or the exact drainage I want to hike up. That'll come later after I draw the tag. Then I'll start to break down the mountain range and break down exactly where I'm going to go and where I'm going to hunt. And I mean, you do want to make sure that there's public land in there and, and access where you want to go. And, and uh, you know, and, and you might get into the mountain range a little bit. Uh, you know, sometimes I find myself falling, you know, where I, where I, oh, I want to hunt this unit, but maybe I'd go up here. Maybe I'd go in there. Maybe I dive in a little bit deeper. But for the most part, I'm just trying to narrow it down to which units I want to hunt that I think will be quality units for the game that I'm going after. And then that's where I apply from. And, and if I am lucky enough to draw the tag, then I start to really break down the unit. And when I when I dissect a unit, I, I look at every possible mountain range, public land piece, and, and I just start crossing things off the map, circling things on the map, vantage points. Going in field is always the best. If you can make a scouting trip and, and go see those vantage points or walk that timber or park at those spots, that's so valuable to do scouting trips. But sometimes you're 12, 14 hours away from there, and you're going to have to do all your scouting from a computer and so, you know, computer and maps. And so then you just just want to plan a couple days before your hunt to get down there, drive around, be able to find your your access points and trailheads and where you're going to walk up from and get yourself familiar with the country, you know, before you dive in because it's it's never the same on a computer as it is when you actually get into country. And so um, I, that's kind of how I go about the process. What about you, Zach? You know, I it's kind of, I haven't been hunting multiple states near as long as you have, Brian, but. One of the first – I'm very fortunate to live in Wyoming because I've lived in Wyoming my whole life. And as you know, there are, there are some very good – very good potential for both uh, whitetails – or for all three, I guess, whitetails, mule deer, uh, as well as elk. Um, pretty much high country, desert, whatever you whatever you fancy, you, you can pretty well hunt it in Wyoming. I'm just very fortunate. Um, so – because I've been hunting in Wyoming for, I don't know what it, well, I started hunting when I was 12 and 25 now, so 13 years, I guess. Um, the first thing that I start looking at is I start looking at states that have seasons when I can't be hunting in Wyoming. So right off the bat, I see, okay, Nevada, you know, some of their stuff opens like August 10th. Then I see some things in Colorado. It opens August 28th. Um, and then I start, uh, looking at what those tags could possibly be, what they, you know, what they, what they hold that I would actually be interested in. Um, cause I, I mean, I'm not, I'm definitely not going to buy an out of state antelope license. That's just something that does not interest me whatsoever. Um, well, and you've, then, you've got such good antelope hunting in Wyoming. I can, oh man, I can see that too. And and I've got good antelope here in Montana as well. And a big one would be nice. But I'm with you. I I look for for mule deer and elk if I'm going to pay the money and travel to a different state. I love antelope and love antelope hunting. But but I'm with you on that one. Something about something about antlers. It just it's that's what excites me. You know, I see an ant. I see a a big and I've you know shot. And not once again, not to mention inches, but I've shot like 80 inch antelope, which is nothing huge. Don't get me wrong, but I was like, okay, well, there's another antelope, you know, shoot, well, I don't know, 170 inch deer, and I am just like flipping out. I'm so excited, <laughs> you know. So it's just, I don't know. Like you say, it all comes down to what excites you. But then I start, you know, I basically know that I'm going to have at least a deer and an elk hunt 
in Wyoming, even if I have to use a general tag, mule deer and, and an elk tag. Um, and at that point, I start looking at what I can potentially hunt um, end of October and into November. And this year, I'm even looking into, obviously, I have that tag for January. Um, and my whole thoughts there was it's going to be freezing cold in Wyoming and probably not as cold in New Mexico. Um, but then what I start doing right away um, as soon as drawings post, I go through and I start scouring leftover tags in Wyoming. And as soon as I go through that, I start scouring leftover tags in other states that I would potentially like to hunt um, that aren't during the same season that I can hunt Wyoming. Because um, right now I am – I mean absolutely I would love to go and and be in an area where I can shoot 200 or 400-inch elk, you know, 200-inch mule deer. Um, but at the same point – I would love to go on a trip and get the opportunity to shoot a decent buck with my bow, and I would, that would be just as cool. So that's why at this moment in time, I'm like, okay, what's left over that has potential for me to go have an opportunity? Um, and then it allows me to get out and just have that much more practice, um, and that way when I do start being more focused on drawing high-quality areas like you are, Brian, um, I'll be much more proficient with what I'm doing anyways. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Experience is the best teacher, and the more days you can be out, and the the more different the 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 different places you can go, and you can figure out and solve the puzzle to it, and figure out where the game animals are. You know whether you kill something or not. But if you can just find them and kind of unlock the the pieces to the puzzle to different units and different places and different states and different critters and different animals, you know, pretty pretty soon, you know, you you start to unlock the secrets to bow hunting. You start to un, uh, unlock the secrets to chasing those huge mind-blowing trophies that you're after and it's just it's all about experience and gaining knowledge so you're definitely on the right path yeah you know and and the, the, the more you go to a place you just continue to up your odds so i uh i started looking at a state that offered over-the-counter tags and i said okay well because I have buddies from all over that we all want to go hunting together, but we never know what's going to happen when they have to apply for a draw. So we're like, okay, well, where can we all just go buy a license over the counter and go hunt? And started looking into that, started doing some research. So we ended up finding an elk area over the counter and had really, you know, we called the game biologist um, and he gave us some leads basically, got on Google Earth, started looking at the spots where he suggested and uh, ended up finding basically a honey hole, an over-the-counter tag where we were where we were putting the hunt on 340 and 350 class bulls. Is, it's pretty awesome because we, know, we now know that we can go hunt that spot every year until they decide to take it off of over-the-counter, which is cool for me because then you can count on it. You know what I mean? Oh, good for you guys. Yeah, and that's kind of a misconception with hunting is that you need a sought-after tag or tough draw odds to have a good hunt or to find trophy animals, and and uh, you really don't. Like I say, I don't I don't apply for tags that take me even six years, eight years, ten years. I, those aren't the tags I look for. I look for the tags that I can hunt often, and, and sometimes they are zero points or one points or over-the-counter units, and, and it's a, uh, there, there's a lot of trophy game out west, and it doesn't 
doesn't have to be this this huge tough to draw tag to find a 350 inch bull so good for you guys you guys put in the research found an over-the-counter tag where you can go chase big ones you know and and go have a good experience but like you see if you just keep exploring these different states and the different opportunities they have you're, you're gonna find these spots and then i've killed a lot of nice deer and nice elk at a general general season spots and so yeah i, I think that's a great tip that that you don't just wait to draw some some 10 or 12 point tag to be able to go kill a big buck you start hunting now you start gaining experience and you look for over-the-counter tags or easy to draw tags that that you can get where you can go gain experience and go learn and be in the woods and you're not going to kill them from the couch but you just might if you're out there in a unit whether it's in a different state or sought after tag or not and it all it takes is is a mature animal if a if a bull gets to six to eight years old, you know he's gonna look good. He's gonna be a big one, you know. And mm-hmm. so you just gotta find those spots, and they do exist on on over the counter tags. So I think that's great. Yeah, and and another one is is definitely just use your resources. You know, a lot of the stuff that I've been implementing and applying is stuff that I've learned from you, um, stuff that I've learned from other Eastman's articles or some of their books that they've published. Um, I mean, Brian is putting this stuff out there for a reason. It's not just go in one ear and out the other. I mean, when he's when you're listening to Brian, just take your finger and stick it in the other ear so that it stops before it goes out the other ear. Because (laughs) what you're saying, Brian, is like gold. It just it seriously is so helpful. And as well as the MRS section in the back of those journals, I use that too. And when they decided to compile all their stuff, you know, into that yearly one, I use that thing. And got notes all over and highlighted stuff. And I mean, just use what you have. It's there for a reason. <laughs> oh, you're so right. There's so much good information in there. And, and I use it too. I have the, the yearly book and use the MSR and look at that. And as well as uh, state game agencies that, that have information. But I, I think a big part of it is just wanting to be successful and, and willing to put forth the effort. And I, I think that's what, what you've done is you've, you, you care about it and you love it and you want to become better at it. And so all this information, it is gold to you because you take Take it in and then apply it. And you're you're out in the woods and you're 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 trying to do your research in these units. And if you're just willing to put forth the effort and want to be successful and, and want to become better, you will become better. And and that's exactly what you've applied and done. And so I think that's an important part of it too. Is if you if you want to be better, you just set your mind to it and gather that information that's out there. And 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 not only me and you. There, there's a lot of great hunters out there that are putting out great information. And just try to soak it all up and. And like you say, use the resources that are available to you, whether um, you know, you're breaking down states with Boone and Crockett, Pope and Young, you're using state game agencies. Some of these state game agencies, I mean, uh, they'll have dough to buck ratios, they'll have uh, percentage of four point bucks, percentage of, of uh, hunters that harvest bucks, and so you can really start to, to learn a lot about a state and different units and different places to hunt just by using that information. So I think the biggest thing is, is just like what you've done, is, is using that information and applying it, deciding that, that a giant mule deer is something that you want. 
and you're going to work towards that goal and yet it may not come the first year that you hunt out of state or the first time you go mule deer hunting but eventually you're going to gain that knowledge and start to harvest a couple bucks and be able to work your way up the rungs of the ladder until you can harvest that huge mind-blowing buck that that you're you're after because they're out there and they're out there on public land for us it's just the it's the new age of hunting right now where it's it's us guys that are doing all the research and and working really hard and out in the field and we're scouting and we're hunting I mean, those are the guys that are that are going to find the success out there. Mm-hmm. And you know, like, really, the only thing I would add to that is once you start your research, um, I find it most valuable to learn from somebody that you hunt the most like. Um, and that that's why I found so much value in what you teach, Brian, is because. I am hunting the public lands. I don't really like asking for permission. Um, <clears throat> so whether that's whether that's like Brian or or Guy or Aaron Snyder or Cameron Haynes, it really doesn't matter who it is. These guys are successful for a reason. Um, but if you go out and you absolutely hate climbing mountains, and and your favorite thing to do is hunt tree stand and whitetails what there's nothing wrong with that it's awesome i've done it (laughs) but if if that's what it is then someone like myself um you probably wouldn't be like hmm i i want to learn how zach hunts elk so that i can go hunt this whitetail like (laughs) i don't know (laughs) yeah i think you're right i think it's finding the the right role models or the uh, the right influences that that uh, they're like your style of hunting or, or what you want to be doing for sure. No, I think that's a great tip. Yeah, because just like when you go to start picking out the area, you pick out the area that you like to hunt and want to hunt. It's the exact same idea. Yeah, don't follow me around for whitetails. I'm not any good at it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I love hunting whitetails and all species. They'll they'll let me hunt, but I've only killed uh, I've killed a handful of does with my bow, and then I I honestly I do not have a whitetail buck with my bow yet. But they're just um, here in Montana. They're uh, the you know not to say there's no public land spots to find them. There is. I just I I get one tag a year, and I end up hunting mule deer every single year, and I have hunted whitetail bucks here and there and i i do have a whitetail buck uh, with my rifle years ago but yeah i just don't harvest many whitetail bucks because i don't focus on them i always focus on mule deer because i love hunting mule deer and i i love the landscape they're in i love the big mountains they're in and and even if they're not in the mountains i love the desert or the coolie country or just the wild public land that they live in and so i I just haven't caught the bug yet, but one of these years I am gonna I am gonna harvest a good whitetail. You know, every year I say, well, this is the year I'm gonna harvest a good whitetail, and then I'll end up going out to my my mule deer spots and getting a mule deer out there. But <laughs> but one of these years, but no, I think it's I think you're right. If you're if you're uh, want to know how to kill a big whitetail, I'm I'm not the guy to listen to for sure. I'm more of a western hunter for elk and mule deer and antelope and bear and and uh, those kind of things. So I think that's a good tip. Yeah, well, you got to do what excites you. Yep, that's it. Well, <laughs> whitetails is fun, and I, I do like hunting them. I, I don't want to badmouth hunting whitetails because they are a super challenge. It's amazing how they can live in such a small tract of land and be so smart. Uh, it's so hard to find. <laughs> yeah, how they can outsmart hunters in this small little tract of land where these muleys have tons of country to hide in, you know. And so I do have a ton of respect for them. I just don't – I don't have a lot of opportunity where I'm at here, and I, and I could find opportunity. Like I say, I just I, – I've fallen in love with hunting mule deer, and so that's what I spend my time doing. But but nothing against hunting whitetail. I think they're one of the toughest. 
one of the toughest challenges out there and and uh, great trophies and they, it's, it's well spent time i just gotta I, I wish montana would give me a whitetail tag too i think that would be in a perfect <laughs> world but uh, uh one of these one of these years i'll i'll uh, harvest a nice whitetail or really put my effort into it because uh, they are fun to hunt and a super challenge yeah, it just seems like our home states never give us us residents enough tags, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we're pretty fortunate, but yeah, I mean, uh, uh, you always wish for more, but yeah, gosh, I mean, like you living in Wyoming here in Montana is just a dream world for me. I get an elk and a deer tag every year, uh, a spring bear tag every year, and most years, I well, every year I get an antelope tag as well with a bow. It's pretty much guaranteed and great odds for moose, sheep, and go. I mean, how can you beat those kind of experiences or those? kind of tags for a for a local resident i mean a lot of these states um guys have to wait years just to get an elk tag and so yeah me and you are so fortunate living in in wyoming and montana and we may take a little hit you know when we get our paycheck every week but we live in an awesome spot where we can go chase uh, uh really trophy critters and get to do it every year so yeah we're really fortunate agreed i i couldn't agree with that anymore and that that allows for the opportunities that you we were just, we've been talking about basically this whole show <laughs> yeah the opportunity it's, to get better <laughs> yeah that's um like i say the biggest thing to improving and getting better is experience and montana lets you hunt such long seasons for these animals that you get so much experience that you end up improving your skill set to where then you feel confident to go to these other states and be able to be successful and test your skills there so yep i think you're right awesome yep well, right on, man. I don't know. It's getting pretty late. We better shut her down and get a little sleep and, and do her again here soon, huh? Yeah, that sounds good. I, I, in, and once again, I'll probably take this little piece that we're just talking about how the show went off, but, uh, I don't know. I, I think we covered some pretty cool stuff and I think it should help somebody out. Yeah, I, I probably <laughs> won't because I don't do much editing, so. <laughs> no, it's cool. But, but I think it's good, you know, that people can just hear everything. I always use that word organic, but, um, you know, that they, they just hear everything in real time that we talk about. And, and uh, uh, plus, I'm not any good at the tech world like we covered at the beginning <laughs> of the conversation. So guys will be able to hear absolutely everything from start to finish. But no, thanks a bunch, Zach. I think it went really well, too. It's a good conversation with you, and we need to do it more um, uh like you say, our schedules are just so busy. So thanks for working with my schedule. and, and uh, I, Yeah, thanks for working with mine. Yep, we'll do it again here in the future. Okay, that sounds perfect. I appreciate it, Brian, and we'll talk to you soon. Yep, talk to you later, Zach. <laughs> All right, bye. Okay, bye.